0: Are you ready? Coming to you from Tamid Group's headquarters in Washington, D.C. Building the future alongside the Startup Nation. The only podcast for the Timid community.
1: This is cast Welcome to cast everyone. I'm Nate Gilson. We are very excited about today's episode. This is the very first time that we actually have a Tamid member who is no longer in college with us, and with no further ado, I want to introduce our guest, Dan Smith. We'll we'll keep it informal today because, Dan, you are located in the land of informality, being... Where is that, Being in Israel. In Israel. Tel Aviv, Israel. (laughs) How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing
0: great. I'm doing great. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me to be on Tamidcast, this very exciting new initiative that I didn't even dream of when... uh, when I was leaving Tamid a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, well, uh, so. <laughs> you, you opened up the segue right there, tell us about your, your Tamid story, how you first got involved, and you, you really rose the ranks.
0: Yeah, sure, I'll start as far back as you can go. Sure. When I was in high school, I saw an article in the, in the Jerusalem Post about a new student organization that was connecting business-minded students with the Israeli economy, and it happened to be at University of Michigan which is where I was going to be going in the fall. So I uh, was extremely, extremely interested. It actually was before I decided which college I was going to go to, but it definitely helped me decide to go to Michigan, knowing that this this awesome organization called the Tamid Israel Investment Group existed there. I watched like, the first videos that, that the group ever created. Uh, Nate, I am not, I don't think you were in them, Nate, but nope. um, definitely like uh, Sasha Gribov and Etan Angle. Or in those videos and I was watching them as a high school senior. I actually, uh, I was accepted pre-admission to the business school at Michigan and I went to an accepted students day and uh, Brett Siegel was one of the pre-admit like mentors that was there to answer questions of all the students. I recognized him from the video and I went straight up to him and he, he asked me if I have any questions about Ross and I said no but I have questions about Tamid. <laughs> So I, I got started really early uh, with my interest in Tameed, and when I got to Michigan that fall, I joined, fall of 2010.
1: I'm going to cut you off there, Dan. So it was initially uh, that, that Jerusalem Post story that, that got you hooked.
0: Yes. Just, uh,
1: just for, for the listeners out there, I, I wanted to give you a little bit of a background about the Jerusalem Post stories, because uh, there were a couple of them. Um, I was a freshman at, at Michigan, and it, it just just started being involved in Tameed. I wasn't even on the board yet. I. I applied to the board and didn't get in. And um, I reached out to the Jerusalem Post editor, told them the story of what we were doing, and they liked it and wrote a couple stories about it. And the the dividends that those stories paid have just been enormous. I mean, think about getting you involved. Um, uh-huh. We've had some major, major donors who first got involved by reading those stories and reading other stories. And I mean, the reason I think it's important to tell that story is that it was literally just a couple emails that opened so many doors for us. And, any of you listening out there, any of the Tummy students listening, you you can make amazing things happen just by sending an email to a publication that you read, reaching out to somebody who you know who is a, a philanthropist who might be interested in, in supporting something that Tummy does, or some a, a bit someone who's in business who might be interested in getting involved with a Tummy project. Here you are, and who knows <laughs> yeah. who knows what would happen if you never saw that story. I'm I'm, I'm sure you would have found your way anyways, but...
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I have you to thank for me being in Tamid. uh, for you reaching out to Jerusalem Post and pushing that article. Maybe I wouldn't have chosen Michigan otherwise, and maybe I wouldn't have fallen into Tamid.
1: I think it was Destiny (laughs) Den.
0: But really, that's that's a great lesson that, you know, the smallest little thing, especially with this organization that's growing so rapidly, the smallest uh, connection that you make and follow up on uh, can... You don't know where it's going to lead down the road. Um, not only for Tamid, that's for everything.
1: So anyways, I, I cut you off. You So you were just joining Tamid, and then what?
0: Yeah, so I joined uh, fall of 2010, and I guess Tamid, depending on where you define it, started in 2007 or 2008, so it was a couple years old. You were remember when I first joined, I was in the Gimmel class at Michigan. Um, you were, I guess you were the fellowship director yeah. at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, My freshman year, I joined the first semester, and I actually didn't become extremely involved uh, originally because I was pledging a fraternity at the same time, and I was balancing all these different things. So it was only until uh, later, I guess it was my sophomore year, I started becoming more and more involved. I actually applied for the fellowship my freshman year and was rejected, but uh, I didn't let that get me down.
1: I remember Uh, that. Yeah. I I was your interviewer, wasn't I?
0: Yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
1: That, that's so embarrassing. I, you know what I feel like when you say that? I feel like, you know how Michael Jordan didn't make his JV basketball team? <laughs> imagine, how, imagine how stupid the coach of Michael Jordan's JV basketball team feels about cutting him. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's how I feel about, I mean, I don't, I don't exactly remember the decision. I, I remember it being very, a very competitive process, and you were a freshman, right? Yeah, I was so sure. that, that was definitely working against you just in terms of seniority and comparing it to other people. But mm-hmm. I, I certainly, um, I mean, that, that was definitely a poor choice. And it's also t- the, the, the fact that you, um, you took it in stride and, and kept, kept going on is really a, a testament to uh, your resilience and how strong of a leader you were and all, how passionate you were.
0: Right, yeah. Um, so after getting uh, rejected by you, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I didn't my, <laughs> my freshman year. I didn't join uh, the executive board or anything. I joined uh, the fund and was just a general member. Right. Um, but I went to APAC policy conference. It was in May that year, um, right after my freshman year ended. And I met a bunch of people at APAC policy conference and followed up to Ali Berman, I think, with, oh, Ali, I just I just met this person, that person. One of them that I remember off the top of my head was the Adine Kaufman, um, who founded uh, Veritas Venture Partners, one of the first VCs in Israel, as well as Sadara Ventures, uh, a VC based in Ramallah. So I connected with him there, pitched Tami to him as his freshman that you know had gone through your uh, seminar on how to pitch Tamid. and um, that actually that connection bloomed since uh, he ended up feeding a lot of. Uh, consulting companies or, or consulting clients to us throughout the years. And um, he spoke at a Tamid uh, seminar in USC at one point on uh joint you know collaboration, the Israeli economy in the Middle
1: East. It's it's amazing, Dan. I mean <laughs> I mean you never know. The people you sit next yeah. to on an airplane, the people who you happen to bump into at a conference, the Right. whether they can help or whether they're one degree away from someone else who can help there're just so many stories especially in it's the world that Tamids in is a small world and there are so many people who are eager to, to help us out so I mean I, for everyone who's listening I just I can't encourage you enough to just don't be bashful about walking up to people don't be bashful about telling them about Tamid because nine times out of ten they're gonna be really excited about it and seven or eight times out of ten they're gonna have a way to help
0: yeah. Um, just one note on that Yadin Kaufman thing. He he spoke on a uh, panel on you know investment in Israel, or whatever. And I went up and I asked a question, and I gave the Tamid plug in the question. And then I went up to him afterwards and got his email, and I wrote him like it feels like a, like a ten page email. I had no idea how to connect with people back then. I actually um, I I started giving a lesson on how to network and like how to follow up and build relationships. And I would show that I pulled up that email from like years ago in my inbox, and I pulled up like a recent email that I've done. This is when I was a senior at Michigan, yeah. and I showed what what to do and what not to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's awesome. One of those like, nice meeting, let's connect. You know, a couple of, like within the next couple of weeks, whatever. Blah blah. Mention you know I'm the student from Tamid that came up to you, whatever. Right. Don't send a ten you know whatever uh, email on Tamid that he's never gonna read. Um, but it somehow worked out anyway. <laughs> anyway, my sophomore year, when I got back to Michigan uh, in the fall, I guess uh, Tamid's uh, treasurer at the time was stepping down. And I got a call from Ali Berman, who remembered that I had emailed her over the summer about uh, meeting people about Tamid. So she knew I was, I was uh, interested maybe in doing something more. And she asked me whether I wanted to become the treasurer. Uh, so this wasn't even a job that I applied for or anything. It just kind of, you know, happened that the job opened up and she had me on her mind because of a couple emails that I sent her. And uh, that was that. I became the treasurer of Tamid, which was just at Michigan at the time. What was growing. Uh, the first campuses were UC Berkeley. The first campuses outside of Michigan were UC Berkeley and Penn State. So, I was in charge of opening up the bank accounts for those schools as we were really expanding just to our first uh, campuses outside of Michigan. And for about a year, I would make weekly trips to Hillel at Michigan, which is where our um, mailbox was for Tamid, and I would receive checks from all of our donors and walk them to the PNC on the corner of uh, South U and East U in Ann Arbor. And that was, uh, that was how Tamid finances worked. We received donor uh, checks from Hillel. I walked them to PNC to put them into the bank. and then I just managed reimbursements to everyone, you know thank yous to donors, um, kept the books on my like, in Excel basically on my laptop until, until a year later when we, we, we started the uh, partnership with ICC and then everything transferred over to them.
1: So now, were you the treasurer during that transition? I was, yes. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, give, I'll give everybody a little bit of background on that. ICC is the Israel on Campus Coalition, and legally speaking, Tamid is, a, is fiscally sponsored by the ICC. Operationally, we're completely an independent organization. Um, our leadership makes our own decisions, but in terms of uh, legal work and accounting and things like that, ICC provides all of our all, all of the support and all the all the administrative work we need there so like you're saying Dan you tr- the books were transferred to ICC and um, and I mean it's it's it, it, that's a professional organization with professional accountants and so that was a big transition from you being on campus to, to something a lot more established
0: yeah it was a very big transition and that time, the reason why we went to the ICC was because we were developing a relationship with the Schusterman Foundation, who are very connected there, and that was really the time when we had a need to start scaling up financially, and it couldn't just be student-run anymore. It was the first time we brought professionals into the picture to uh, run the show centrally uh, for Tumid. It was a big sign of our growth, uh, that we were on the verge of um, really, really exploding as an organization.
1: Right. And, and then what? So... At that point, what year were you?
0: That was fall of my junior year when we made the fall transition. Of junior year. And then- I started treasurer fall of my sophomore year, and then fall junior year we made the transition to ICC. And
1: then during the winter semester of your junior year, then what happened with you?
0: Going, going I skipped over one thing, which yeah. was very important uh, in my Tommy journey, which was the fellowship. I did the fellowship, finally, the summer after my sophomore year wow. while I was treasurer of nationals.
1: And where did you where did you work in Tel Aviv when you were on the fellowship?
0: I worked at Sagot Investment House. It's a it's the largest asset manager in Tel Aviv. They work mostly um, in brokerage and mutual fund management on the uh, uh, Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. So
1: another cr- crazy connection you brought up with Sagot. I your mm-hmm. supervisor there was probably Zach Herzog, right? Exactly. So <laughs> Zach Herzog. I'm talking about ridiculous connections, was my fifth grade uh, Judaic studies teacher in elementary school. <laughs> you know, I mean, when we were first setting the fellowship up, we were really, really struggling to find Israeli companies to work with. And looking through LinkedIn and anybody who I possibly could have been connected to, I mean, like your fifth grade teacher is pretty low down on that list. But mm-hmm. I, I saw he worked for an Israeli investment bank. He switched from from education and went into finance and I think he, he was doing really well for himself and th- that relationship blossomed from there. So even your fifth grade, your fifth grade teachers, you never know, <laughs> stay, stay connected, be in touch with them and those relations, relationships can really pay off.
0: So I have you to thank for introducing me to Tamid in the first place directly, for bringing my uh, Tamid Fellowship internship on board. And for rejecting me and setting me on the right path, because maybe I would have burned out if I did the fellowship my first summer.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it's, it's serendipity. I mean, these, these things are not like you—you you couldn't have planned for for how well certain things went. Um, yeah. You couldn't have planned for how for how some things that, di- that didn't go well. But I, right. when when an idea has enough legs and it resonates with enough people, it just catches on, and you never know who's. Who's going to find out about it, get excited about it, and push things forward?
0: Right. So um, my summer at out. I worked with uh, international investors who were looking to invest in Israeli companies on the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange because international investors don't have access to making local trades in Israel. So they would go through my boss, Sack, who is the head of um, institution, international institutional investments for the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. Well, for Sago, which was basically the largest uh, player in the Tel Aviv stock exchange, that summer I got to know the like the Taste twenty-five and the Taste one hundred, the one hundred biggest companies in Israel, or that are only in Israel. You know, like the back of my hand. So I was working with them every day. So I that was when I built my vision for what I at the time believed and still do believe. Although the fund is kind of you know, it's always difficult. Uh, but that's when I set my vision for what the fund should become. Um, at the time it was at Michigan, it was really just, it was an invest a, a regular investment fund for people who were interested in Israel, and we'd talk about like Israel current events at the beginning, but then we'd, you know, make investments in just all kinds of companies that had no attachment to Israel at all. Right. Um, so that's when I initially thought that we should be trading Israeli companies in our fund. Uh, At least we should set a bar and say 50% of pitches will be Israeli companies. So I developed all of that, you know, rationale about what the fund should be that summer while I was working at South
1: Okay, so let's fast forward back to, say, winter break between the the two semesters of junior year. Mm -hmm. Uh, You stepped up yet again, so tell us about that.
0: I ran for president. This is president
1: uh, of Tamida, Michigan,
0: at Michigan, yeah, right. President of Temmy at Michigan, my January of my uh, junior year, I ran for it. I actually didn't plan on running for it. Um, I just had just chaired Go Blue Wear Pink at that fall. What is that? Go Blue Wear Pink is like the largest student-run breast cancer research and awareness uh, fundraiser at Michigan. I worked pretty hard my junior year between, you know, junior year classes and recruiting and uh, spending so much time on the Diag fundraising for breast cancer research, uh, that I, and at the same time, I was treasurer of nationals, uh, that fall that I kind of like going into second semester of my junior year, I kind of just wanted to take a step back, focus on recruitment and not be more involved in Tommy than I already, already was, but, uh, I think it was really a lot of my experiences on the fellowship and interacting with other campuses, learning about pain points in different campuses and kind of like getting a good idea of I don't know, what needs to be done to meet overall, that kind of like, I felt like I had to step up and, you know, I had to do something about some of the, uh, I don't want to say problems, I don't want to put it in like a negative tone, but some of the opportunities that were available. Uh, to continue shaping TumAid. So I decided, like, sort of last minute to run for president. And I also ran for VP of the fund at the same time because I still had this big vision for the fund. And it was that I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be president or whether I just wanted to focus on the fund. But I figured if I was president, I could work with people to change the fund anyway. Right. I became president. Um, we kind of, at that time, were restructuring everything. We For the first time, had an executive board that looked totally different than it did in the past. Then... After a couple months as president of the Tamid chapter, I went to APEC policy conference. It was March that year. And that was a big time for Tamid. This time, you know, we were several months into the ICC partnership, Ali and Max, who were the co-executive directors nationally, were nearing their graduation point. They were only a couple months from graduation and uh, they were running the organization nationally. And there was a bit of pressure um, for us to hire a professional for the first time to run the organization. Now that we had the Schusterman relationship, the ICC relationship, everything, and Max were leaving, we needed an executive director that was working full-time. So that search was happening, I believe, during March. And uh, at the same time, that was kind of the first year that there were a lot of different campuses. Maybe it was like nine. Nine different campuses uh, in Tamid, and there were a lot of students that all came to d c at the same time and mixed with each other and met each other and It was kind of like a I don't know breeding ground for like something great to happen within Tamid <laughs> and something great was me meeting Jared Flightman. <laughs> I met Jared that March for the first time at a Schusterman reception or something, and we just like immediately had you know, started hitting it off. He was the president of the USC chapter. I was the president of the Michigan chapter. It was the first time, I guess, as president, I was meeting other leaders uh, from different chapters. And um, we just had all of these ideas for Tamid, and we couldn't stop talking about them. Um, and when we got home from APAC, we continued and decided that with the executive director hire um, coming pretty soon, we needed a way for... Student leadership to remain relevant on a national level and not just be you know confined to the campuses, so I wrote up a little draft of what a student national board would look like, and I called together like you know a Google hangout of maybe five chapter presidents, three of them were on the fellowship with me, one of them was Jared you know um, and uh proposed. The creation of the Tamid National Board. I decided, actually, you know, we needed a chairman of the board or you know, a chair of the board. I decided that it would be less; it wouldn't be so legitimate if I myself, who had the idea and wrote the like the articles of incorporation or whatever of the board, nominated myself to be chair. So I nominated Jared, and uh, by unanimous vote, Jared was made the chair of the National Board of Tamid, and. Um, we started working from there, him and I, on developing what the national board was going to look like. And um, this was probably like April or, yeah, it was probably April. We were still in school. But um, Jared went on the fellowship that summer, just a couple months later, and I was working in New York in an internship at American Express. And on a daily basis, Jared and I were talking to each other about, you know, first, what was going on with the fellowship because it was the first time we had 40 fellows. I think it was 40, around 40 fellows. My summer we had um, like 15. So it was the first time we had like, you know, that substantial increase. Right. So he, uh, and also the first time that we hired um, an outside fellowship director and didn't have a student fellowship director. So we, on the daily basis, were talking about what was going on in the fellowship, how was, you know, how were things going, how, you know, how we, you know, good ideas that we could have for events, whatever. So I was so like, I was very involved with that fellowship from afar in New York. Um, And we were also talking about the development of the board, and what it was going to look like. I would like get home from my internship every night. I would leave like at five and like at five, start working on Tamid. (laughs) Um, And uh, Jared was working at our crowd that summer. He had to commute from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem every day. And then, you know, commute back, he'd come back at like eight PM Israel time. Uh, I don't know, and then like start working on I don't know, he I don't think he slept that summer because I would I would regularly work until like ten, eleven PM on Tamid stuff and Jared would still be up working on it with me. Wow. In Israel that's like that's really late. Um that's like five A. M. Um So that summer we drafted a whole long document about what the National Operating Board would look like. We created eight positions. Uh, tch, should I test myself and name them all now? <laughs> um, You're good. <could>. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we created eight positions, and this document that we created while I was interning in New York and while Jared was on the fellowship is still being passed around now, and is still the basic structure for the National Operating Board. Wow. Um, we returned to school my senior year, fall of two 2000- thousand.
1: Thirteen, and despite and, all of your involvement nationally, you're still president of Tamina, Michigan, as well, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, I was still yeah, I was still president of Tamina, Michigan. Um, I sometimes after work I would go and I would meet with my some of my board members who were also interning in New York, and we would plan for like fall recruitment. We had a kick-ass fall recruitment, by the way. What did you guys <laughs> in do? 2013. Uh, we just we spent the summer planning for it, and Megan Neimadust was um, director of membership and uh bella wishnevetsky was like a uh, director of recruitment and the two of them just worked so well together and uh they just they they nailed it it was it was a r- amazing recruitment for Tumid. um we brought in a really diverse class we had 100 and like 30 applicants it was the first time we ever had wow. that many um it was really good and a lot of all stars from that class um I was president this whole time. I was also, at this point, I was also officially the co-chair of the national board. At some point over the summer, Jared was like, you're doing as much work as I am, so let's just call you co-chair, rather than me continuing to just be the chair. That seems appropriate. Um, Yeah. So, things just kept escalating. Like, (laughs) Tamid just kept, more people kept learning about Tamid, new chapters kept, like, reaching out to us or new students kept reaching out to us. Um, We created the idea of um, uh, different interested campuses creating an Israel business club and then having to like prove to us that they can fundraise, prove to us that they can recruit students, prove to us that they can build programming uh, before we give them the stamp to start calling them a Tamid chapter. So before that, we would always like either reach out to a campus or someone would reach out to us and they would be a Tamid from day one and we'd help, we'd give them so many resources and like work so much with them to help them build their chapter. But now we, we realize that we didn't really have the capacity to do that. So we we're going to let them build and prove to us that they should be in Tamid.
1: Right. So now we're at the point in your story where you're probably phasing out of your, your Tamid membership or leadership as a student, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're probably about to graduate. Then what's next for you, Dan?
0: Um, it's, it's crazy that we, we skip because there was still so much more like my senior year, which is all tamid national, you know, leadership. Been. Yeah. Um, well,
1: has that stopped? It, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not a student. Has that really stopped?
0: <laughs> so <laughs> like, it, so much, so much, happened, but we'll, we'll skip over like, like second my second semester of senior year, I was taking one class. Right. Actually, technically I was taking two classes. I was taking one class on like, um, Israeli, I don't know. You know the Israel conflict, Israel Palestine, you know Israeli Palestinian conflict, and uh, one independent study with Len Middleton on Tamid. So I was getting credits for working on Tamid. And some um, background
1: on Len Middleton for those who who don't recognize that name.
0: Len Middleton is an entrepreneurship professor at Michigan, and he was uh, an early mentor of Sasha Griboff when he was creating the organization. Very hands-on, um, active with Tamid, and. Uh, Really just, like, an incredible guy um, and brought a lot to Tameed in its very early stages. So he was my, like, uh, advisor for this independent project I was doing, which is basically, like, making Tameed's national board more well-defined. So I just put together a lot that I had already been working on, but, like, in a more formal way um, and, and a more, like, in a way that I knew could be passed down after I graduated. My second semester senior year I left a lot of time to work on Tumid. After I graduated, I was on a fellowship called the Corey Teen Fellowship. I spent a summer in Jerusalem and my project for Corey Teen was kind of building out what the alumni program would look like for Tamid. Um, I was calling it Tamid Young Professionals. I built like a through the you know, the fellow, it was a social entrepreneurship fellowship, so they had us they taught us how to build business plans, how to fundraise, you know, everything, and um, I basically, I put together like some documents, built a business plan for Tummy Young Professionals, August, I came back to the States, started working like two weeks later at American Express full-time.
1: Do you think your Tummy involvement helped you get the job at American Express?
0: Definitely did, I mean, I don't remember it being like the main topic of my interview, surprisingly, but... I probably should have made it more the main topic. But, um, I mean, definitely the skills that I learned through Tommy for everything for finding me, you know, my job at American Express. But uh, there was a lot relevance at the job from my Tommy experience, but I didn't bring my Tommy experience like to American Express. You know, it was kind of hard for me to make my job at American Express about Israeli business.
1: Right, uh, right. Also, <laughs> so, I mean, you were in... Many ways an entrepreneur with Tameed, and American Express is more of a corporate environment right
0: yeah, so what were, you, what
1: were you doing for them?
0: I was a financial analyst on a monthly basis. basically, I would analyze the financial results of American Express that were released internally um, like and uh, create reports for senior management so they could see in real time like how the company was performing in between like quarterly results releases and I also worked on some market ana- analysis looking at different retailers and our and American Express's share of wallet with those uh, big retailers um, and trends yeah. there. Yeah. Um,
1: and did you love that job passionately?
0: I think you know the answer to this. <laughs> <Was> That's <laughs> too much I of I a didn't.
1: leading question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I, I didn't love the job passionately. Uh, like, like you mentioned, I in entrepreneurship was like a big part of my experience tummied and it it was a tough it was definitely a tough adjustment to go from running a national organization and like being like a, a leader who had, you know, guiding an organization to being an analyst where I'm, you know, the absolute bottom person at a huge company. Right. So it was it was that was definitely uh a tough transition and I always tried to find ways to incorporate, you know, my my urge to, like, lead, to innovate, come up with new ideas. But it was really hard, like, in the, you know, finance department to come up with a new idea that wasn't really any need for it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So are you still with Amex?
0: I'm not. uh, Another leading question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm not still with Amex. I was with Amex for uh, 14 months um, through October of 2015, and then I, throughout my time at Amex, I, you know, several months in, I started thinking about what I wanted to do next, so it was pretty early to think about what I wanted to do do next, but I, you know, I had it on my mind, and Israel always was, like, so center to everything I did in, uh, at Michigan, and I kind of wanted to bring it back into the picture in some way. I took a trip to Israel in July of 2015. It was like I used all my vacation days from Amex to go to Israel while the fellowship was happening. And, uh, but while I was here in Tel Aviv on that trip, I spent a lot of my time reconnecting with a lot of my contacts that I made through Tummy over the years um, and networking with more people and, you know, kind of playing the idea of what would happen if I decided to come and work here. And by the end of the trip, I was, like, pretty much sold. That's it. Um, by the end of 2015, I'm going to be in Israel. And uh, a few months later, that's exactly what happened. I arrived on December 24th. I made it just in time for my goal of getting here by the end of 2015. And um, I, yeah, started a totally new path and a totally new job here in Tel Aviv.
1: So tell us about your job search when you arrived in Tel Aviv.
0: Um, I had planned to spend the month of January with resume in hand, meeting as many people as possible and, you know, to, to find where I was going to be working. But uh, all of this changed, actually. <laughs> it's really funny. There was a Tamid newsletter that announced that I was moving to Israel.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I think Rebecca Saragosi put it in there. Um, right. I didn't know it was going to be in there, but it, was, uh, it said, like, I'm moving to the 972. Which nice. I actually like right, a lot, right. by the way, because I'm from Livingston, New Jersey, which is 973, the area code. So I moved from the 973 to the 972. Nice. Um, anyway, uh, Daniel Gratis, who is the co-founder of Home Run Group. I'll explain more about what that is in a, in a minute. He's, I guess he's on the Tummy Newsletter listserv or whatever. So he, he saw that I was moving to Israel from the Tummy Newsletter. I didn't tell him myself. Um, did you know him? I I met him in New York through a friend, like a friend from Quarry Team connected me to someone who connected me to him uh in New York and um he, I went to a presentation and him and I were in contact. Uh yeah. we grabbed coffee a couple of times in New York. So he we knew each other. Um he uh and then I connected him to Tamid at some point in the fall. Um and I know that you met him in DC. Right.
1: Anyway,
0: he um because he saw I was moving to Israel through the newsletter, he gave me a call out of the blue. And this was maybe like a week before I, my, like my flight, a week before I was supposed to get there. And he asked me when my flight is, and I told him. And then he said, okay, we'll be in touch. And then the day of my flight, he called me again, and he said, do you need someone to pick you up from the airport? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, thank you. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he picked me up from the airport when I landed, and drove me straight to Home Run Group's offices, which are in Yafo. And so he basically uh, he gave me,
1: kidnapped you right off the plane. Basically.
0: And he gave me like a hard pitch for why I should work with them.
1: Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he gave me basically, you know, he gave me like an offer, like pretty much on the spot to start working with them. Uh, he said he needed me to start working right after New Year's. So that, that was like a week from then. And um, he said, I have like, you know, I have like a week to decide i thought about it for a couple of days you know i knew that like i came here i really wanted to shop around i really wanted to find them but this is such a good opportunity um i can't let this go so i called him and i accepted the job offer and i started like a week after i got here with a uh, home run group
1: that that's um, the most israeli recruiting story i mean like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't get any more aggressive than Picking yeah. somebody up at the airport when they're emigrating to a new country and <laughs> basically <laughs> right. hold, holding you hostage in his car, and ha- ha- talking your ear off about the job. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Okay, so what does Home Run Group do? What are you doing for them?
0: We help Israeli companies expand to the U.S. market. Companies that have established products that have been tested in the Israeli market, successful, and are ready to move to the U.S. to start selling in the U.S., except for they don't have the right connections. Now, they started here, they, they start, obviously, within the Israeli market, it's much easier to sell um, a local product, and this is where all their pilots are done, but it's not really where they can make money. The market's so small here, um, it's not, you know, they need to get over to the U.S. or somewhere international right. um, at an early stage in order to stay sustainable. So what we do is uh, we're recruiting a network of well-connected businessmen and businesswomen across different industries in the U.S., who all want to help these Israeli companies expand over and who are willing to lend their basically their phone book um, to help these companies. So just for an example, we'll take a company. I'll give a specific one just to give a better idea of the types of companies that we connect them. Um, This is a company that what they do is they connect to surveillance cameras of retailers like brick and mortar shops and they provide analytics on what's going on inside of the store so it helps um store managers understand how many people are walking in where the hot spots within the store are, like where a lot of traffic is Uh, it helps them understand like how many times their employee approached the customer versus like how many times the customer came in and wandered around wow and a lot a lot of other like things that they're able to tell they actually have they combine technology that reads the, you know, the images with they have um, like human eyes that are watching. But they, they have people that are watching the right. footage uh, and, can, and can provide it like um, uh, analytics that a computer can't measure. So that's their value. So they have a lot of clients throughout Israel, uh, in Russia, and throughout Southeast Asia. Um, but they have zero clients in the U.S., so that's one company we're working with. They just don't have the connections. They're, like one of the co-founders is Russian. That's why they have a lot of connections in Russia. They, like one of the co-founders lives in Vietnam. So that's why they, even though he's Israeli. So that's why they have a lot of connections out there. But they have no connections in the U.S. So through our network, um, I, I was just in the U.S. a couple of weeks ago. And one meeting that I had was with several executives from Hudson Bay Company, which owns Saks Fifth Ave and Lord & Taylor. One of our members is like good friends with the CEO of Hudson Bay Company, so he like set up the meeting for us to bring this Israeli technology in and sell it to the company. So without that relationship, this company could have cold emailed or they could have sent a salesman to Hudson Bay Company, but there's someone there whose job is to say no to new, you know, to people who are knocking on the door. Right. <laughs> so we um, we basically we just go right above that. We go first to the people at the top, and then they tell the people in the company who it's relevant to to you know, take a look at this. And it creates like a warm meeting where it's much easier to go in and sell from there. So we do that. That's one company we're working with, but we do that with a lot of different companies. Because um, as Dan, for,
1: for yeah. the, the Americans who are helping, like the executive at Hudson Bay Company, are mm-hmm. they doing this out of the goodness of their heart, or do they have skin in the game also?
0: We have different levels of being part of our network. But the core part of our network, we call them members. They're members of Home Run. Um, so the, exec- the CEO of Hudson Bay Company is not a member, but his good friend is. I see. Um, the members actually are all limited partners of the business. So they all make an investment in the company. They own, uh, each owns like uh, 1% of the company. And so they, from our success, we take commission off of the deals that we create in the U.S. for these companies out of like you know the profit that we make, um, they receive one uh, percent of it, so it's not they're not making that much money at all from this, but they do get a check every year and it's kind of like it kind of uh, it, it gets more skin in the game for them. Um, we have their attention because they have an investment in us, and uh, they have something to gain out of it if we're successful, so yeah. it aligns our interests we're not relying on like donations on an annual basis like we need to generate. Um, revenue in order to you know, stay open and our investors or our members, they also want to want us to be doing well so they are more you know, responsive when we need them to connect us with someone that they know.
1: So what do you do for Home Run Group, Dad? Uh,
0: my role is as the Director of Operations for North America. Um, we have four in our office here in Tel Aviv. Um, actually, our, our office is in Yafo. So four in our office here in Yafo. Uh, the two, found, two of the founders, my co-worker Masha Lang, who is the Director of Operations for Tel Aviv, and myself, Director of Operations of North America. Masha is in charge of managing the network of Israeli companies here in Israel. She sources, brings in, you know, she does lead generation. Uh, she does a lot of follow-up and due diligence on the companies uh, and manages our relationship moving forward with them. I work with the companies once we're at a later stage of our relationship with them and have fully onboarded them. And are now in the process of executing for them um everything in, in North America we're you know connecting them with members uh working on their strategy for market entry uh because it's not only just getting the meetings it's deciding uh, the timing of of when we do this the the strategy who who exactly we're we're going for where the like prime I don't know spaces in the u s for them are yeah. um at, you know the amount of resources that they should be um allocating for this. There's a lot of strategy behind it that I work on with them. And when it's time for them to actually go to the States, I'm like really involved with them in that process. And uh, I'm also involved in recruiting more members for our network. So we're about uh, halfway full. Our group is about halfway full. We're, we still have, you know, an additional like 30 or so seats to uh, to fill. Um, so we're, we, we take occasional trips to the U.S. to different cities uh, to recruit new members to the network. We were pretty saturated on New York, so we're, we've like closed New York, and we're now traveling to different cities around the U.S. to um, you know, give presentations and find new members for the network.
1: So it sounds like you have one of those rare jobs where you're the only person in the entire world who does what you do. <laughs> is, is that an accurate statement?
0: I guess so, yeah, that would be accurate. <laughs> that, that's
1: amazing. I mean, it's a, per, it's a perfect role for you. To yeah, to, to take your strategic thinking. You love business. You studied business, your mm-hmm. your love of entrepreneurship, and then to take the the U.S. Israel business connection and to put it all into one job. That's basically what you're doing on a day to day basis. Yeah,
0: it's it's a pretty great situation I'm in now. I'm really I really love my job. I really love you know living here in Tel Aviv, and I really love like the continued. Um, exposure I have with Tamid, or like the continued uh, engagement I have with Tamid. It's really, you know, everything is is really great. Tamid, like, really, you, you can see by my position right now how much Tamid has, has influenced my my decisions and my, my path.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask. I mean, it sounds like you're somebody who's always been connected to Israel, but without Tamid, do you think you ever would have ended up ha- having a career in Israel? Every way in which I was connected to
0: Israel beforehand was, like, trips to see, you know, to... To climb this mountain, to see this kibbutz, to see, you know, to work in this field. Um yeah. I I never would have understood what it was actually like to live and work here if it wasn't for Tamid. It I had a totally different like picture and like you know, vision of what Israel was um, from all my other trips to Israel, um, and for all my other like political work with Israel. So Tamid was the first one who put it into like the the perspective that this is a place where you can live, this is a place where you can work, and uh, so I think that totally changed the picture for me in my in my relationship with Israel.
1: Totally, totally. Now I've seen some of your posts on Facebook, and it sounds like a, <laughs> aside from your your own uh, your own successes in Israel, you are a firm believer in um, in other people following in your path and coming to you. <laughs> so tell tell me more about that.
0: Yes. I have a project that's been in the works for maybe a year called Sababa Nation. The name is still up for you know, debate. What is Sababa? <laughs> no, so, Sababa means awesome. It's awesome nation. <laughs> anyway, I have a friend who was after he was graduating from University of Florida, he was getting ready to. He's just CEO of his own company, tech company he was getting ready to move to Tel Aviv and it was like a big decision for him because all of his friends were going to New York or San Francisco or DC or Chicago. And he just decided, you know what? I want to go to Tel Aviv. I'm going to, that's where I'm headed after school. Um, and he told like he, he went and asked like some of his closest friends, like maybe like 10 of them. If he moved to Tel Aviv, would you consider moving there with me? You know, after graduation, yeah. And all of them individually said no, but when they found out that maybe all 10 of them would do it, they all said yes. So no way. Yeah, So um, it was the kind of thing where like it, it seems like such a daunting move to go to Tel Aviv and it's not something you do on your own, but if you know other people who are doing it, or if it just like, it seems like something that's more normal, then you're much more likely to like hop over onto the right side of the fence when you're on the fence deciding
1: right and the right
0: side of the fence is obviously moving to tel aviv (laughs) (laughs) the other the other thing that that launched this idea was that um the there's a perception that the only way to get over to israel after graduation is to do an unpaid internship with a program like massa and a lot of people i mean that's definitely the right path for some people but like myself i you know I, I interned at Amex. Like I, you know, had a job offer to go back and work full time. I didn't see myself at that point delaying five months and not getting paid. Right. Um, so it wasn't even an option. You know, Israel wasn't even an option for me because I just had this perception that if I went to Israel, I wouldn't get paid. And I need to. You know, I'm graduating. I need. It's now time for real life. I can't do a program anymore. I need to. You know, have a job and live in a city on my own. And that's not what I view Tel Aviv as. I viewed Tel Aviv as like a city of programs. So Jared, my friend's name is Jared Cash. Uh, he was on the Quarantine Fellowship with me. I met a lot of like, you know, really uh, awesome people in this uh, Jewish philanthropic world, um, social entrepreneurship world through Quarantine. Um, him and I, we had this idea for Sababa Nation, um, which is to change the image of of what it means to move to Tel Aviv after graduation and Assist a lot of people in doing it, making it just a cool thing to do. Um, helping people find jobs here, helping people find apartments here, um, helping people get integrated into the the. There's a big international community here. Helping people get integrated into that, and turns out because of some complications with uh, the company that Jared's running, his board didn't let him move to Tel Aviv. He had to move to New York because that's where like his board members were based, his investors were based, and like he they wouldn't let him move the company there. So he never went, and that's what postponed uh for a while until I moved here. And now I'm the like example for Subobination rather than him. But he's still working on it with me. I've informally been helping out a lot of people that just either read, you know, saw, see some of my Facebook posts or my Snapchats, and ask me about what life is like here and you know how realistic it is to find a job here. Or people, you know people have started connecting their friends to me, their friends that are thinking about Israel, but not sure they've started connecting them to me to, to talk or to help them find something. Uh, so I've been doing it informally since arriving here three months ago, but I'm you know develop, I'm in the process right now of developing like a website and raising some funds to do it more formally um, and have this be like a real pipeline for uh, graduating students to choose Tel Aviv as their city to live in to choose TLV instead of NYC or SF or DC.
1: So subomination is a website. Is it a job hunting website? Is it a website with like fresh content? Fresh content.
0: The main part of it is just going to be basically like a how to list of like how to move here. You know, it, it starts off like either you just graduated or you just quit your job. The point is you're free um, and you, you can now move to TLV. Um, and, uh, and then it's just like from there, what do you have to do? And is that,
1: I, I, is that your slogan? <laughs> You're free and now move to TLV. I just made that up on the spot, <laughs> awesome. but it's going it to be, should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh,
0: so anyway, it's like, you know, just from my experience over the past three months, things that I, you know, little things that I had to take care of, little logistics, little like what, you know, how I found my apartment, how I, you know, what's the best way to look for a job here? What, what can you expect out of a job here? Um, what what to what should you do socially in Tel Aviv when you just move here and you don't know that many people? basically the website's just going to be like an information base just showing people like how it can be done and then there we we're thinking about incorporating a, a job um like posting board on there. There's currently a couple of websites that already do like job in, jobs in Israel for English speakers, so we might just collaborate with them and link to theirs or it's always been a thought that Tamid would eventually create a job board from, like, all the companies that we're working with. Uh, So that's another, you know, idea is getting, like, a Tamid-branded job board on there. But, uh, yeah, and then alongside the website will be a social media campaign where I I post more often than I do (laughs) publicly about what life is like here as, you know, a young professional in Tel Aviv. Uh, Through Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. So it's it's exciting and hopefully it'll be launching pretty soon. But I still I don't want to launch with a name that I don't like, and I'm not in love with Saba Nation.
1: So that's a challenge a challenge to our listeners then. <laughs> yes, help, help Dan come up with a name for the for this new website and portal for young people who are looking to relocate to Tel Aviv. Now, Tamid, as you know, we we don't necessarily endorse one way or the other relocating to Israel. Um, mm-hmm. I think if we did, we'd have some anxious or angry parents who would stop donating. Um, yeah. But for, the, for those students who are current mean members or early on in their careers, what what's your pitch to move to Tel Aviv?
0: First off, I just want to frame it by saying that I have not made Aliyah in my move here. It was a it was a move to live and work as an American in Tel Aviv. And um, that's the whole idea behind Sub- Sub- Nation. is we're trying to just get people to see that when you're 22, 23, 24... Tel Aviv is a great place to live. You it's not about changing your citizenship, it's not about making any like life decision. It's just this is a great city, and and like our globalized economy, like it's not such a big deal now to you know live in a city abroad. So the pitch is that uh, well, first off, <laughs> I arrived here in December, and the weather has consistently been about seventy degrees. <laughs> Until now So that's, that's uh, an amazing aspect of life here um, After spending a year in New York And four years in Michigan I didn't have a winter this year And uh, there were beach days in January So it's, it's really You know, Tel Aviv is Really just like a Mediterranean Metropolis That's just awesome Another thing is how international Tel Aviv is um, You have a lot of Americans here a lot of australians here a lot of you know britons here a lot of south africans uh people from all over south america people people from all over the world really you have people from all over the world maybe in new york also it's a melting pot but i felt like in new york i was i wasn't meeting people from all over the world on a daily basis right here in tel aviv like there's just something about it that, like, my friends are from countries all over, and this is a kind of experience I would never have while living in the U.S. So it's it's kind of, uh, and also, I never studied abroad when I was at Michigan, so because of the business school. So um, this is, like, kind of my worldly abroad experience. Uh, so that's definitely part of it. Another one is that the tech scene here in Tel Aviv is just thriving. It, I mean, every I don't need to tell this to a tamid crowd. Everyone knows, but um, it's... In pure numbers, it's number two to only uh, San Francisco. Forget about Per Capita. Um, And uh, the way that the scene is structured here, though, is very unique. uh, Because here, everyone knows everyone, and there are events, like, on a nightly basis where, like, all the top people are at, and they're extremely accessible, and it's kind of like... It's a really, really, really tight community, but it's not a walled-off one. It's very accessible, and... uh, easy to join and, like, extremely interesting uh, and easy to navigate as well, despite how, like, large and sheer numbers it is in in terms of startups and entrepreneurs and engineers. So I'm, on a daily basis, I'm, like, I'm meeting new people that are extremely interesting, um, and it's just, uh, it's an incredible place to live if you want to be exposed to a really interesting tech scene. Another thing is Tel Aviv has an unbelievable nightlife, and it's just it's just a really, really fun city to live in. Another thing is that Israel is just, it's an ex- incredible country to explore. So you can spend, you know, if you take a day off of work, you can go and hike Masada. You can, on the weekend, I can take a, a bus and 50 minutes I'm in Jerusalem and I can spend uh, like a nice Shabbat in Jerusalem. I've, you know, I've actually, I've, after work, I've gone to Jerusalem for an event and come back. It's just like, it's really cool to be so close to, to that city.
1: What about the job market? If if someone comes over as, as an English speaker with a, a business degree or a, a little bit of a business background, what are their job prospects going to be?
0: This is actually, for me, one of the biggest reasons to move here. One of the key things that Israeli startups are missing are Americans, or native English speakers. But oh, Well, no, yeah, Americans. People who understand the American market, because that's where pretty much all of them are aiming, eventually. They're aiming to make it to the American market. And, uh, it's, it's so valuable for these companies to have an American in their office doing, you know, working, uh, in whatever role that they're in, but on the side, like proofreading everyone's emails and telling them, no, that won't work. American consumers uh, don't do this. Don't do that. Whatever it's, uh, for my company, it's, you know, I'm leaned on and given so much responsibility just because I'm the American in the office, and I'm viewed as, doesn't matter what my age is, I'm viewed as having so much more experience with the American market than any of the Israelis who have you know been working for way longer than I have. So it's a great way if you want uh, to jump in and be given a lot of responsibility. Be like the unique person in the office. Uh, be the American who has a lot of insight that's valuable to, to the company that you're working in. There is a downside though uh, to life in Tel Aviv <laughs> and it's related to jobs, I would say that it's uh, the salaries in Israel are just known to be way lower. That's, that's one of the biggest uh, downsides to moving to Israel in, in general. Um, that's why you know they say a lot of people who make Aliyah, they say don't stay here. It's because of the economy here, N- not, the, not the economy, but it's because of the um, cost of living here compared to the wages. The wages are really low in Israel. Israelis can expect to earn 50% less than Americans um, in like the same job, or at least like compared to a job in New York or anywhere, they're getting paid a lot less. So in moving to Tel Aviv, one thing that young professionals are sacrificing is definitely their salary. But the idea is it's worth sacrificing that for the experience that you will gain here. And If you're not making Aliyah, you're not spending like a life here. You're only sacrificing maybe two years um, of salary, and this isn't the time in your life when you're really saving up and you know earning your wealth. Um, So the cost of living is is lower here. I'm paying like for my apartment, I'm paying less than half of what I was paying in New York. Um, So it's it's easy to uh, it's livable for a young professional without a family. It's it's extremely livable. But uh, anyway, job prospects. The most commonly available jobs for an English speaker are probably um, marketing-type roles um, or like, digital marketing-type roles for startups. They're consistently looking for native English speakers uh, for these roles, and it's really where an American can stand out. Um, it's hard to come over here and like take a job in engineering or your English isn't so valuable in that job, but in a biz dev or marketing type role, your English is very valuable. There are also a lot of funds here in Tel Aviv, a lot of VCs that are that have uh, openings for analysts. And Jared Flatman is really the guy who's connected to all of these uh, VCs. But on like a biweekly basis, I see like a new posting for an analyst role. So that's also definitely an option, but those are way fewer than, you know, the thousands of startups that there are that um, could have a great opportunity open for you.
1: We're about ready to close, Dan. But before we do, I just want to ask, what's your number one piece of advice for the listeners today?
0: Uh, I'm going to give you two quick pieces of advice. Uh, The first one, extremely short. Find something that you love and, you know, do it. Don't... After you graduate, if you find yourself in something that's maybe not the right path, don't, you know... Don't feel ashamed to to um, to look for something new or to, to try and find you know what you're right to be doing. And so don't be ashamed if you you know if you're in that position in general. So many people are in that position. It's it's really hard to find what, what you love doing, and you definitely don't need to know it by this age. But don't stop looking for it. Um, and the second one is Tamid related. Um, I would say stay involved after you graduate definitely stay involved with Tameed the alumni network is growing alumni programming is increasing and uh, there are so many ways to stay connected with uh, your colleagues from Tameed and I feel like if someone's listened this far into the podcast they're (laughs) the type of person that's going to stay involved but um, I just want to say like definitely uh, keep your Tameed network close because we're all going to be doing big things we all are doing big things and we're all like the people people from time are really special and like they're the um, cream really is that how you said the cream floats to the top was it the yeah yeah you it really with time like it really floats to the top and the people who are very involved are like really outstanding um so stay really involved be outstanding and uh continue to be a part of time even after you graduate
1: I think that's a, a really relevant way to close. We, we opened by mentioning that this is, the f- this is the first Tamid cast with a member who's no longer in school and very deliberately not calling you an alumnus because Tamid membership lasts far beyond just mm-hmm. being a student with Tamid. Um, you, you realized that when you, when you did your project on starting Tamid Young Professionals because you didn't call it the Tamid Alumni Group. You called mm-hmm. it Tamid Young Professionals, I'm guessing, right. because Tamid involvement can... Continues. Um, exactly. So thank you so much, Dan, for your continued involvement. If anybody has any questions for you about Home Run Group or about Tel Aviv, how can they get in touch with you?
0: Um, anyone can feel free to. If you want to uh, talk about Home Run Group, you can reach out to my, me at my Home Run Group email, which is dan.smith at homrungroup.com. Or if you just want general advice, if you want to talk about Tom Mead, if you want to talk about anything, um, you want to talk about Israel, living here, um, reach out to me at my Tamid email, which is dan.smith at tamidgroup.org.
1: Dan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really eye-opening for our listeners. Yeah, no, thank
0: you so much for inviting me to, uh, to participate in this Tamidcast. It was very exciting. I love doing this.
1: Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening to Tamidcast. We'll catch you next time.